Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Scripture reading, uh, God speaks to us from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, so this week, we start a new sur- uh, summer series called The Fruit. Uh, over the course of uh, the series, uh, our goal is to consider how one can grow in Christian character. Uh, by the end of the summer, my hope is that we are all a little bit more like Jesus. Uh, and this is exactly what it means to be one who is growing in Christian character, to be learning more and more what it looks like to live like Jesus, to be like Jesus. And while we'll never fully be like Jesus, the Christian walk ought to be marked by incremental progress of being more and more like, reflecting more and more of the King, Jesus. And the way one becomes more and more like Jesus, as we're going to see, is through uh, the Spirit of God doing a work in us as we trust in Him. It's for those that find themselves deeply rooted in Jesus. In Jesus' words, He is the vine and we are the branches. And so as we are rooted in Him, connected to Him, there is life that then flows through us. And as a result, we will exhibit what Galatians, the book of Galatians, calls the fruit of the Spirit. In coming weeks, we'll take a look at the fruit, but in Galatians 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit are that of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus is the one who embodies that fruit perfectly, but he also calls us to pursue that same kind of character. And so our goal this summer is to take seriously that fruit, to take seriously that growth, to take seriously Christian character. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin looking at the very aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. But for the coming weeks, the next couple of weeks, I actually want to first lay a proper foundation for why this fruit is even possible and what it takes for us to begin seeing that fruit grow. Because on the one hand, what we're going to see is that the fruit of the Spirit is a work of the Spirit. But on the other hand, the fruit is also... uh, something that is cultivated as we take seriously that cultivation. And so what we're going to see, we're going to consider how a posture of service and love for others is the fertile ground for fruit. We're going to consider how there's a spiritual battle necessary for us to see fruit grow. But this week, to begin, I want to consider 
the actual roots necessary for the fruit to grow. I said a moment ago that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, that we are connected to him in this way. And so to begin, I want to understand what that means. Because we can't grow in Christian character unless we are first connected to, rooted in Christ. And so let's consider those roots today. And today you're only going to get two points from me. We're going to look at the roots of bondage and we're going to look at the roots of freedom. Okay? So first, the roots of bondage. Uh, we first need to have a bit of a foundation for what is happening in the book of Galatians. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a group of churches in Galatia, uh, which is now modern-day Turkey. And the purpose of the letter was to clarify teaching around uh, the role of Jewish religious practices in the lives of non-Jewish Christians. Uh, as you might know, Christianity is rooted in the Jewish faith, uh, in that Christ was the fulfillment of all the promises that God had given to Israel. Uh, he was uh, the, the promised Messiah who, in Jesus' words in Matthew 5, did not come uh, to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill the law. And while unpacking what all of that means for Jesus to uh, fulfill the law is a bit of a thing for another day, in summary, Jesus came to fulfill the sacrificial law by becoming a perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice. He came to live a perfectly righteous and moral life in adherence to the whole law. He came to fulfill the promises proclaimed by the prophets of old to establish a, a new covenant with his people, the church, who are now the people of the Jewish people and the Gentiles together, as the third chapter of Paul speaks of in, in uh, Galatians there's neither Jew nor Gentile, but now there's one in Christ. This is the work that Jesus came to do. But here is the tension. Jesus was Jewish. His disciples and the apostles were Jewish. And most of the earliest followers of Jesus were Jewish. And they had all grown up with strict adherence to the Jewish laws and Jewish customs. So the question arises in the early stages of the early church. As Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were coming into the church, the questions began to be asked, what exactly is required of the Gentiles who have never followed these kinds of customs, particularly with regards to circumcision and dietary laws? Many of the Jewish Christians of course, they had been circumcised. They were also still following the dietary laws. And there were some who were saying, in order for one to be a true Christian, then these practices needed to be adhered to. And this became a highly contentious thing. So much so that if you remember in our um, previous series, we, we spoke about this one week where the Apostle Paul had to confront the Apostle Peter for not dealing rightly with the conflict. Paul, uh, Peter had failed in properly articulating the gospel because Paul was taking the side of those who were requiring these dietary laws and circumcision upon Gentile Christians. But why would, why would one take that position? Why would one assume that these old laws and customs needed to be considered now, post-Jesus? Well, one of the many reasons, I and mean, actually one of the primary reasons was that the circumcision laws and the dietary laws, they were physical representations of one being spiritually set apart. It was an observable marker to identify who was in and who was out. 
And the entire book of Galatians is an argument that those kinds of distinctions are no longer what make one in or out. But rather, in Paul's words in chapter 2, he says that a person is no longer justified by the works of the law, but in faith in Jesus, but rather by faith in Jesus. So Paul is arguing that the nature of the gospel is rooted in faith in Jesus, not in any adherence to the law. Okay, now that kind of summarizes most of the book of Galatians. Now that brings us to chapter 5, which is where we're going to spend our entire summer, all summer, one chapter, walking slowly through it. Because what, now, what we now see in Galatians 5 is a bit of a picture of what life should look like as one has trusted in the work of Jesus, as one has believed the gospel. And to emphasize his point, in Galatians 5, Paul gives us, in essence, two possibilities for us in life based on how we view the law. And Paul essentially lays out this, that you are, I am, we together are either living in bondage or we're living in freedom. We're either rooted in bondage or we're rooted in freedom. Look at verse 1 of our passage. He says this, he says, It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, we are either free or we are slaves, burdened by a yoke of slavery. Now, depending on where you land on this belief or lack thereof of the Christian gospel, uh, I do realize that that language can sound a little bit like religious manipulation at its worst, or maybe that's a greatly overstated exaggeration at best. I mean, are we really either in bondage or are we really free? And while that might sound exaggerated, I actually think it nails exactly who we are and what we uh, seek perfectly when we understand fully what Paul is articulating here. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says this. He says, Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to the whole law. You are, uh, you are trying to be justified by the law. I'm sorry. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and have fallen away from grace. Now, what is he saying there? The key to understanding how the gospel liberates all of us from bondage is that word justified. Paul, all throughout Galatians, and especially in chapter 5, focuses in on this idea of justification. What is justification? You know, I have found that for, for Christians, uh, it's a pretty commonplace word. Like, if you've been around the church long enough, you've heard this word justified. But I do wonder how often we really understand what it actually means. What does justification mean? And how does it apply to the message of the gospel? Well, justification is a judicial word that means to be declared righteous. It's this attempt at proving that we are what we ought to be. It is foundationally our defense against any criticism or accusation that we are not good enough. Right? The idea being that we, we want to be righteous in the sense that we want to be good enough or we want, we want to be good or good enough to be accepted and to be deemed worthy of that acceptance. 
right? In a courtroom, when you're arguing your case, you are attempting to present a justification for why you are innocent and why the court should accept you as innocent. At its core, that's justification. It's an attempt to prove that you are acceptable. And when you think about justification in that way, you begin to realize that we are constantly trying to justify ourselves. We're constantly trying to present a justification to be accepted. You know, in our modern Western society in particular, every structure and system is built on us proving that we're good enough. I mean, think about it. So often, success and acceptance is based on uh, the kinds of documents that we can produce. Think about these two documents in particular. Think about what a transcript and a resume are. I mean, what are those two things? They both, in essence, represent all of your accomplishments, or lack thereof, for that matter. And both of them are the main determining factor for you to be accepted into particular schools or into particular jobs based on what's on that resume. For both are attempting to prove yourself good enough and worthy of acceptance. It's a representation, a piece of paper, (laughs) a representation of all of your years of study, all of your hard work. And based on that piece of paper and what is on that paper, you are often We are often desperate to be accepted based on what's there. That is justification. I mean, justification is that school transcript. That uh, justification is our resumes. And this is why so often those, the accomplishments that are on those pieces of paper become all-consuming for us because they say much about who we are and what we've done. Not only does this uh, affect how we view things like school or uh, our jobs, but we do this with relationships as well. I mean, what is a dating profile if not an attempt to prove yourself good enough? You know, when when making friends or seeking friends, how often do we do what we can to keep the real us hidden the real struggles hidden, and instead just present our best self because we want to be accepted. And so because we want to be accepted, we are, we're going to pull out our best stories. We're going to try to be the funniest we can be. We're going to try to be the smartest we can be so that people like us, so that we're accepted. You know, another way this plays out is for some uh, church folk, some church folk have a tendency to want to be accepted based on how righteous they can be how good of a Christian they can be. I don't know if you have ever been in a setting where Christians play the uh, look how great of a Christian I am game, uh, but it is certainly an attempt at justifying themselves. It's a resume of sorts. I want to be accepted based on how good I can be. I mean, so much of our lives and our pursuits are simply that, wanting to be accepted, to be deemed good enough. And here's the consequence For more people than I can count, this has been the case in my own life. And as a pastor, I have walked through this with countless people. Those pursuits of justification very quickly become exactly what Paul is talking about. They become bondage. 
You become a slave to those pursuits of justification. I mean, the weight of trying to be accepted based on your achievements is often, uh, often results in two, maybe three different outcomes. Let me give you my perspective on how this plays out. And I've seen it countless times. One way that that plays out when you become a slave to this form of justification to be accepted is that for some, you are accepted. You've worked hard. You've put together a really great resume, so to speak. And as a result, you are accepted. But you know this to be true. As soon as you're accepted, that burden doesn't just go away. Because now there's a new level of acceptance. There's always a new level of acceptance on the other side of the current acceptance that you're trying to achieve. And you easily become a slave to other people's expectations, other people's acceptance of you, other people's demands of you. You can never rest. You are driven by the anxiety of failure or the need to make others proud of you or impressed by you. That kind of thing never ends. And you might be a very impressive person with a very impressive resume, and yet internally you feel weighted down in bondage to the expectations of others. Another way that this can play out, though, is that you work hard, you do everything that you can, you try to put together that great resume, but after you've put together that great resume, you present it to someone only to find that you are actually not good enough, and then you're not accepted, at which point you're crushed. You're crushed because you, you lose all sense of what's valuable in the world. Everything that mattered to you, all the work that you've tried to accomplish was down on that piece of paper, and when you presented it to someone, they said, eh, it's still not good enough. And inevitably, that leads people to lives marked by regrets or self-loathing and even despair. It's bondage. You become bound. Now, that said, I'll also say it's not a bad thing to work hard. It's not a bad thing to do your best. The problem, though, is stri- it's not, uh, the problem is not striving to make yourself better or working harder. The problem is when your value and your worth get tied to those pursuits. The bondage is being overwhelmed by the never-ending striving to reach the next level. The bondage is letting your successes make you arrogant or intolerable, which if you've ever known someone that's super successful, that is one of the temptations that you're inevitably going to find. The bondage is being crushed when you find out that you're actually not good enough or you in some way fail. That's the bondage. And this framework is incredibly important because this is the way we live all of our lives, all the time. And because of that, we should not then be surprised that this is the exact way that often we approach our spiritual lives as well our relationship to God. This natural tendency is for everyone to prove that they are good enough even before God. By following the commands of the law and the prophets for justification before God is no different than that transcript of a student or the resume of an applicant or the dating profile of a single. It is an attempt to present something we think deems us good enough. And frankly, this is how every world religion functions. Every single one. You know, last week we, we talked a bit about how important it is for Christians uh, to have a desire to learn from others, even those of, of other faiths. And uh, I th- think that's absolutely true. Christians have a lot that they can learn from our Muslim neighbors, our Hindu neighbors, even our secularist neighbors. We need to always have that kind of posture 
because of common grace. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can listen to that sermon from last week. And that's true. But it's also true that there's going to be an inevitable divergence. And almost always, the major divergence between other world religions and trains of thought and philosophies is this point of justification. Because every world religion establishes a predetermined set of laws, commands, expectations, rituals that deem one worthy of God's acceptance or worthy of heaven or karma or nirvana or glory or deems one in line with the wishes of the divine, which then results in understanding and wisdom and fulfillment, all of them. Even humanists and secularists have a version of this idea. You know, though they might not believe in an afterlife or the divine, they find meaning and purpose not in religion— but in the achievements of humanity or that which can be known by humanity. I have found that the great humanists tend to also be philosophers and scientists and ethicists. Why? Because all those fields emphasize the brilliance of the human mind and the latent possibilities that exist in the world and in the universe. And so tapping into how extraordinary the mind can be Harnessing the brilliance of the universe becomes their justification. It's no different. It's an attempt to prove one's existence is worthy. But in the words of Paul, all of these endeavors to justify ourselves are bondage. Whether it is following the law and trying to be righteous or achieving greatness to uh, try and feel like we matter, we are always wanting more. We are always left unfulfilled. We always, in the end, too often, we just hope, you know, some even have this view of Christianity just hoping that in the end, the cosmic scales of justice, when they're weighed, we always just hope we'll have a little bit more on the good, a little bit more on the side of being accepted. But this is why Paul speaks of this bondage as slavery, as bondage, because it's so hard to break free It is how we are naturally bent. But he doesn't just speak of bondage in this passage, because he also speaks of freedom. See, the Christian gospel is not a message of achievement. It's not a message of adherence to laws or traditions, but rather the Christian message is one of grace. Unmerited, undeserved, love-saturated grace. And it's grace... That is not the root of bondage, but rather the root of freedom. Let me show you what I mean. Look at uh, Paul's train of thought in verse 3. He says, Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. All right, let me stop there. What is that? Well, Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to base your justification on the law, you better be prepared to base your justification on the entire law. In other words, uh, you're, not, you're, you're going to need a perfect righteousness to be fully accepted, and you're going to have to figure out a way to obey all the laws. Okay? There's no cosmic scale to do just enough to maybe tip the scales to the good. It's either all or nothing. Right? So that's where he starts. But then he goes on in verses 4 and 5. He says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Let me stop there for a minute. First, he's saying, if you try to justify yourself 
then you are alienated from Christ and his grace. And what is grace? Again, grace is this unmerited favor, unmerited gift, unmerited blessing that is given. And what is that blessing? Verse 5 goes on to say, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Let me stop there. That righteousness. That righteousness is the gift. What is that? Let me put all that together. It's interesting that when you consider the, word, the, the Greek word for justification and righteousness, they're actually the same root word. Right? So we've seen a lot already about uh, justification. Now Paul's drawing in this idea of righteousness. Both of those words are the same root word in Greek. The reason why that matters is because they are both deeply connected to one another, justification and righteousness. So justification speaks more about what has been done, while righteousness speaks more of who you are. In other words, the work of justification makes us righteous. And how do those things come together in the message of the gospel? Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin, this is Jesus, to be sin, uh, I'm sorry, for for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Of God. What is that? Here's where all this comes together. Christ becomes sin. The penalty for that sin, which is death, Romans 6 tells us, upon himself. But why? He does that so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, when we have faith in Jesus, you are justified and you are made righteous and therefore accepted by God. Right? The content of the resume needed to be accepted by God, is not a resume that's full of your own achievements. Rather, that resume is a resume of Jesus' perfect righteousness. That's grace. We are given that resume, and it's that resume that makes us acceptable before God. Again, not like other world religions that say you need to put together that great resume, and if you put together that great resume, God will accept you. No. The Christian gospel is that in Jesus, that resume is perfectly complete. And as a result, we are then accepted by God. And every time we forget this, every time we reject this, that's what Paul is talking about, that we, have been, that we, we are alienated. You know, in that very first verse, it's a verse I kind of always thought was a little redundant. Paul, Paul says this in, the, in uh, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, It is for freedom that Christ set us free. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Again, feels a little redundant, but what, what's he saying? I mean, remember, he's talking to Christians who should know the extent to which they've been set free. And Paul is saying, listen, Christ set you free so that you can live in freedom. So stop falling back on these old conceptions of faith. Stop falling back on trying to justify yourself through good deeds or achievements or accomplishments or striving. I mean, Paul is speaking to Christians, and so for a moment, I speak to Christians. Christians, though you may have been justified, though you may have been given righteousness, I wonder how often we're still falling back to the old ways of trying to produce our own justification. And what is that for you? Achievements have nothing to do with your salvation and your justification. The only thing that matters 
is our faith that Jesus is enough, that he has accomplished enough. And as uh, verse 6 tell us, tells us, that it's faith that expresses itself through love. It's this love that Christ has for us, the love that we have for him as a result of the fact that he first loved us. This becomes the basis for how we ought to live our lives. Meaning, all of us are going to have transcripts. We all do. We're all going to have pursuits in life. But I do wonder, how do you view those, those transcripts? Do they really determine your value and your worth? Or are they instead just an opportunity for you to love Jesus? Meaning, let's talk very specifically. For those that care a lot about what's on that transcript, you should care what's on your school transcripts. But now you no longer have to be a slave to it. Because now that transcript is just an opportunity for me to love Jesus through the work that I do in education. For those of you who care a lot about what's on your job resume, you should. It's not that those things are bad, but you don't have to be a slave to it anymore because you've been accepted by the only one whose opinion really matters. And now whatever's on that, that resume is just an opportunity for you to love Jesus with it. Right, my job or arts or relationships or whatever they might be, all of those pursuits are good pursuits, but they all now can be solely an opportunity to love Jesus and not, not a way for me to justify myself. And even in my obedience, for those that try to be accepted as a result of their good deeds and good works, you should do good deeds, you should do good works, but you're not accepted by them. Now they're just an opportunity for me to love Jesus. And do you see why grace is a root of freedom? It frees us from that bondage. And so let me end with this. My question to you would be, what are you trying to use as a means of justification? I mean, it's going to be different for all of us. What in your life seems to provide you worth and value, and yet you find yourself constant? Is it your job? Is it your relationships? Is it your pursuits of obedience? I don't know. But my prayer for all of us is that we would cease in that striving as a means of finding value and worth and acceptance, but rather see them solely as an opportunity for us to love Jesus. As we look upon him, we are justified, given a perfect righteousness. And now in response, we live for him. We live in the power of his spirit that resides in us. That's the gospel. That's the roots of freedom. That's the beginning stage of growing in Christian character. None of the rest of the series is going to matter for you if you don't first start here. So I pray that we all do that. Look upon Jesus and see what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the fact that you have seen us in that bondage. We know that you have. But God, we thank you that in your son, you set us free. You have justified us in him, given us a perfect righteousness, and as a result, we are accepted by you. But Lord, you also know the ways that we often fall back on trying to justify ourselves, trying to prove ourselves worthy. And God, while striving and working hard are not bad things, you know that we, we often find ourselves back in bondage to them. But it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, so God, would you help us to look again upon Jesus. And may we live lives 
of freedom, not bound by these pursuits, but free to use these pursuits as a way to love him more. Do it in us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church, and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.